On this episode, we're talking about, you know, that thing that we all love to do, updating our resumes and LinkedIn profiles. <laughs> My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 131. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks, a show about navigating a changing world and thriving in our careers, no matter if it's our second, third, or fourth act. I'm Lou Blazer, your sidekick, and today we're getting curious about resumes and LinkedIn profiles. Now, why are we talking about this? Why is this even important? So uh, what is today? Today is uh, Tuesday, May 19th, 2020, as I record this, and Clearly, we are in the midst of a very disruptive situation globally, disruptive not only to our personal lives and the way that we live, but also disruptive to our work and potentially our financial future. So this reminds me a lot about the time leading up to the 2008 recession, which affected hundreds of thousands of people, many of whom have had to change jobs, pivot or make a career change. So similarly, many of us are having to do this now or will have to do this in the near future, either because we have to or we want to. And of course, one of the things that we need to do whenever we're contemplating a change in our professional life is update the dang resume and LinkedIn profile. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of my least favorite things to do. And if someone were to tell me that I would never ever have to update my resume or LinkedIn profile, I would be so happy. But we don't live in that world. We live in a digitally connected world where these things matter for as long as we want to be working. So to dive into how to go about updating our resumes for the 21st century, I might add, I asked Alison Lockett to join me for this episode. With extensive experience in corporate HR and talent development, Alison is a career coach who focuses on helping people step into their calling at work. She works with clients to help them gain clarity and develop strategies for moving forward with their careers faster and with confidence. And one of the writing services that she provides is to help us, yes, update our resumes and LinkedIn profiles. So of course, I want to get her on the show so I can ask all the resume-related questions that are burning a hole in our minds. We first cover the basics, applicable to all situations, and then in the second part of our conversation, we talk about specific situations like, what if you're making a pivot? How do you show that on your resume? Or what if you've decided to return to employment after running your own thing for a bit? What are the things you want to consider? So lots and lots of things to remember from this episode. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast for the show notes. Okay, let's get on with the show. Here's Alison Lockett, and we start with her answering the question, why the heck is this? Updating a resume, a universally challenging task to do. Yeah, it's a good question because I hear it from people all the time. I mean, no one knows the story better than than you of your career, um, but it is really hard. And I think that there are a few things that are at play I think one is around, it's really a skill of seeing ourselves. It's that kind of like really our ability to see what it is that we are good at and that we're bringing to a role. I think that's really hard for a lot of people. It's like an exercise in zooming the lens out. And I think that's where I've had a lot of feedback when I've done this for clients where they see the finished product and they're like, oh, wow. Like it's, it's who I am. And and how come I could have never gotten to this on my own kind of thing? Like, it's almost funny, but it's, it's true that it's hard to look in sometimes and see, like have the clarity when you're so close up Mm -hmm. in your own stuff. But I think it's also a knowledge thing. If you haven't written a resume in a long time, then there could be just a lack of knowledge around what is a typical, uh, what does a resume look like right now? And like these things change and I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about that. Um, And also I think there are psychological barriers for a lot of people where we have this idea that we don't want to be 
um, like braggy about our stuff. And braggy for me, like braggy is the new bossy where it's like, we need to let go of braggy. This is a marketing document. Like your job is to market your skills. And so there's no such thing as braggy. I mean, we're just going to be honest and authentic about what it is that, that you've done and kind of go from there. You've seen people's resumes. You've seen what people have done. <laughs> and, um, and just full disclosure, Alison has seen my first draft of my resume. And so <laughs> she knows exactly the things that I have done. But um, what are the common mistakes or traps that you've seen people do whenever they're updating their profiles or updating their resumes? So I think that the thing that we fall into the most is listing our tasks, not our accomplishments, right? And it's so natural, especially when you're in a job search and you're like in the groove of looking at job descriptions. So you kind of have that type of um, language almost in your mind. And so then you're writing your resume and you're writing the different roles that you've had, the experience that you've had, you're writing it up kind of like a job description. And this is one of the big things that people in, in my shoes are always harping on that we, we want to, as much as we can, like put that into a quantifiable um, accomplishment so that somebody can see what came out of it. And it can be really tricky, like easier said than done. Let me just put that out there, um, especially depending on the role you're in. Like this can be a real challenge, but that's what we aim for. And not every bullet point is going to be, um, you know, a massive company changing accomplishment, but just getting into the flavor of an accomplishment versus just a task list is um, really important and makes the reader want to keep reading. Otherwise it gets really boring reading resumes. You're just reading the job descriptions. I mean, I, I've read a lot of these, you know, the tips for uh, revising your resumes or your LinkedIn profile. And one of my pet peeves is that on this particular thing, the example that they give is always quantifying the um, the result of their work, right? The output. So increased revenue by X percent or whatever it is. And I'm like, but not everybody's jobs can be translated into that kind of quantifiable things. So I wish that people would actually give, give us a little bit more example of like, what about if my responsibilities actually do not translate to numerical, you know, calculable <laughs> outputs. Yeah, I think that that's, that's so right. And I think that the revenue example is such a perfect one that you read on every blog. And you're like, but guys, like the number of people who are actually directly influencing revenue. I mean, we could, we could argue that we're all indirectly influencing revenue, but not, you know, the people who can put that on their resume as an accomplishment, pretty limited number. So with the ways that I like to some places that I like to kind of, um, not sneak in, but incorporate some of the quantification. I use it for sure. If you've been a leader of a team, I like to talk about the number of people that you, that had reported to you. Often when people are in um, like project management roles or, or not even like with the title of project manager, but just a role where you've done project work, um, which is many, many roles, then we try to quantify a bit the complexity of the projects. So it could be the length of the project um, or the number that you juggled simultaneously, um, the number of stakeholders, internal and external, that you were um, liaising with, like things like that. So there are some numbers there where a reader can start to put together um, the story mm -hmm. so that it's not just managed, you know, managed projects or managed various, you know, marketing projects from start to finish. It, it's like, we want to talk about those other aspects of those projects so that we can, um, so that the reader can understand, right? Because that's, that's the thing with, with, when you're writing your resume, often another trick I use is writing the bullet and then asking, okay, what's going to be their first obvious question? Mm. And then seeing if you can answer that in the bullet, like incorporate it into it. Gotcha. So meaning if I were reading your resume, what would be my first question as soon as I see that bullet point? 
Yeah. And another way, this is a classic, probably a lot of people have heard this, but, um, but asking that question, so what, like after each, like, right. Like, so like you're writing the bullet and I was like, so what, <laughs> you know, so you're kind of bringing it to, um, you know, bringing it back to its purpose. So you're giving it a little bit more weight. Okay. So what about, what's your perspective on the use of industry specific jargon and is using industry specific words, is that the same as, you know, using the right keywords for your industry? So I would say that they're not necessarily the same, like the jargon and the keywords are not necessarily the same, but they might be the same in some Mm -hmm. cases. Um, The best way to figure out what the keywords are that they're looking for is to read the job description very carefully. And that's my number one piece of advice on resume to begin with is to read over the job description twice, at least, and really absorb what they've done there. That being said, the system is flawed. Sometimes the job description they give you is like something that was written up five years ago by someone and no one had time to update it. And I can't tell you the number of times (laughs) clients go through an interview process and are like, Allison, the job is not what they described in the job description, right? So these things do happen, but overall, like it's the best we have to work with, right? Is the job description. So we go back to that and we see where, what are they kind of honing in on? Often they'll even... I mean, they'll have an intro paragraph or two where they really say, like, this is what we're looking for. Um, And then they'll have like their categories of here are like must haves. And sometimes they have must haves and then nice to haves or qualifications or however they've organized it. But that's where we can go to um, find out like the keywords essentially that we want to use. The jargon question, though, I think a really good way to think about this is to remember who's reading your resume. So depending on what type of role you're applying for, it's often someone in a human resources or recruitment capacity, and also your hiring manager, you know, and maybe some other people who would, who you would be maybe not quite reporting to, but you know, sometimes with some some companies want to run you through a bunch of interviews with a bunch of people, um, but they're all going to have a sense of the job. So I wouldn't be worried about dumbing it down like to layman's terms. I wouldn't actually be worried about that because I think we want to appear to be a professional in our space. And part of that is using, you know, terminology. But there are limits. Right. Like and we, we need to it's a little bit of a judgment call. Right. So it's it's. Um, one thing that I think we want to be careful of is the acronyms. Ah, <laughs> um, those can be a little tricky. Like, but again, you'll know in your industry. Um, like, I'll give an example. I started out in executive compensation. That was where I started when I started my career. And like, we we have something called long term incentives. We call it LTI. It's widely, widely used. Um, I could use that in a bullet, but what I wouldn't use is, you know, an obscure financial measure potentially that I had you that I had, you know, incorporated into an LTI for a client in a specific industry. So you have to kind of be mindful of of your reader. That that would be my best advice on that. And the other thing when you're look, when you're combing through for jargon and doing that check, I see this so much is a really common mistake. Take out all the isms of your company. What does that mean? I mean, like, you know how big organizations, especially they have like their special words that they use for things. Like, for example, they have like the senior leadership team. They call it the SLT. Yes, you know, That would be a no, no. For example, we don't we wouldn't use SLT because the reader might not have an SLT. They might have a whatever MC management committee. Like, who knows? Um, but even even spelling out senior leadership team and in all caps, like they're not going to understand that. Just say senior leadership. So, and, and yeah, other, just other ways that companies get into kind of their own terminology, these big companies, they, they create languages. And a, a lot of, a lot of times when I work with people who have spent, you know, a decade or more at a big company where they've used their resume internally a lot, it's a lot of just kind of 
cleansing out that internal speak. You forget the world outside of your company, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's like a whole universe that you're kind of entrenched in. And what about, you know, how some companies come up with creative uh, job titles? the czar of this or whatever it is, do should we be using those very creative job titles that is unique for the company where we work for today? That's a really interesting question. And I think that it's it's kind of a it's kind of a funny one because I mean if it is your title, I think it gets a little tricky to actually be um like changing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Um, it's funny because if you're like, if you, if you run the place, um, then you can, you know, take some liberties with your, with your titling. And often I, I work on that with people who are going from an entrepreneurial venture into an employment venture. They, we, we get strategic about titling because a lot of the applicant tracking systems will, will search you on title. And it's kind of a sad truth where it's like, it seems so wrong that, you know, in a pile of 500 resumes that come through with a push of the button, they're going to see the 70 who have the same title that they're looking for. And it just, it's, you know, it's flawed, but um, yeah, so you can play with that if you can play with it, if you're the title giver. But I think if you're, if you're employed somewhere, what I would do is I would use your actual title, but if it's so obscure that it's like difficult to kind of, um, see what it means. You can get creative with brackets. Ah, that's you true. Can, yeah, you can kind of um, have almost like a subtitle to explain it. And another thing that I like doing um, often on resumes that I write for clients, I'll have the title. And then underneath it, before I get into the bullet points of the accomplishments, I'll have um, like an italicized line, it might go to two lines where we just summarize, we kind of do the job description piece in in just very few words, where it's like reporting directly to the CEO, manage marketing operations with a team of six direct reports, or something like that. And then underneath that, you get into all the accomplishments. Ah. And that way, you're kind of really spelling out for them, like, here's actually what I do. Can we talk a little bit about the length question? Like, what what is too long? What is too short? Should we be attempting to put everything in a one page, two pages? What what is the right thing? <laughs> so it's I'm gonna give the annoying it depends answer, but I'll but I'll give you a little more color. Because I actually I actually think the number of cases where someone's gonna be over two pages is pretty limited. And before I explain that, I I will say, like, there's been a lot of research done on how long a reader is going to spend on a resume. And like, you've probably seen the research, Lou. It's like some, some research famously said six seconds, which obviously sticks in my mind. Now that's not going to always be the case. And it's borderline irresponsible um, on the part of the scanner, because no human is that (laughs) quick of a reader. Um, But it speaks to like, what really is the purpose of this document? And I think it's, it's really interesting. Like what, it's funny, this is a little bit unrelated tangent, but Recently, I was hearing about um, email marketing, and there was a comment that before I read the email, um, I quickly scan it to see how long it is before I decide if I'm going to read the email. Oh, right. It's kind of this like mental thing that we do where there's something about a three page resume that I think for a lot of recruiters is like, really? I'm going to read the three pages. So I think we want to be kind of careful about that and almost think of doing the tough work of pairing it back as giving a gift to our reader. Like, let me give you the summary because that's what this document is meant to be. Like, clearly we're not going to cover all of our whole life story in our, in our resume. Like the purpose here is to give you what you need to know that you need to interview me. Now, somebody told me that the more senior you are, the longer you can get away with, you know, you can get away with a longer resume. Is that true? 
think, yeah, I think there's something to that. So, so I'll go back to um, what I kind of started saying where the situations where we're going to go under two pages are pretty limited. One is potentially in an executive situation, um, more so for somebody who's maybe moved around a bunch where just for spacing reasons, it's like, you know, each time you have a new employer or a new job or taking up lines, right? Versus if you've been with the same employer, then you can kind of flow through, like you don't have the same real estate that you're dedicating to, to just explaining where you worked and for which years. So I think in an executive situation, you can get away with it. Um, I think also like government can be really, um, like specific about what yeah. they like to see and more detailed, right? And there are certain, um, and in academics too, there's a, like the academic resumes for anyone listening who's been through that, they know. Like this, these things are like books in themselves, right? And there's format and there's a bibliography and there's the whole thing. So yeah, I think those, are, but I think those are truly exceptions. Like we, we've probably a lot of um, us have heard about um you know, CEO of Yahoo having a one page resume. And it's kind of like, if she can do it, you can do it. I think we just need to be mindful of the type of resume we're writing. If you're comfortable with this is a summary document, and I'm really going to drive home the key points here. um, I think a one page resume can be really neat and clean and beautiful. And I think readers appreciate it. Um, Some will say that to pare it back that much, Again, to go back to our slightly flawed, I have an opinion, um, but slightly (laughs) flawed system in applicant tracking, like there will be those who will say, you may be at a disadvantage with a one page resume, because in two pages, you're able to use the required keywords more times and therefore may get ranked higher. Mm. Which, again, um, it's just part of the system that we're dealing with. I've written a lot of one-page resumes and a lot of two-page resumes, and I have yet to write a three-page resume for one of my clients. And I've worked with some pretty seasoned people, and that's what we've been able to do. So that, to me, is the place to, to aim for. Let's let's talk about the the aesthetic of, of a resume. So again, lots of pretty templates out there uh, for the so-called updated look of, I mean, how important really is it to use these updated resume formats? Some of them are for sale. I mean, how, how important is the aesthetic when we are submitting resumes online anyway? Yeah, I think this is such an important question. And I think this is another one that carries a little bit of a warning around some of the um, systems that are tracking these things. So a lot of like I've seen a lot of beautiful templates. Um, I think that on the on the reader side, like they're going to be different. It, it's, it's a little bit a ma- matter of t- personal taste. Right. I mean, some people are going to see them and think, um, what is this? And other people are going to see it and think this person is incredible, right? Like we're all, it's, I mean, it's essentially at that point, it's a piece of artwork. So it's subject to the opinion of the viewer. Um, but what I will say is some of the, the, the tracking systems have a hard time picking up text out of text boxes and or tables. So actually, a lot of the templates that you see online are put together and and including those that you can purchase. And I've also seen like services where you give them a bunch of information and it kind of turns it around into a format, essentially like it puts it into text boxes. And that carries a risk because the um, scanner on the other side may not actually be able to pick up the information out of these text boxes. So I, I caution a little bit when we're getting so fancy that we're into um, tables and text boxes, only because I've done that research and I know that that exists, that risk. It may be a slight risk, but it, it, it exists. So I like to keep it fairly simple. Um that is my personal preference. I think color, I think we're very much like beyond the is color or is it not appropriate? Like I think a lot of people see a bit of color on a resume, but if it's not your thing, that's fine too. Um, but yeah, the other, the only other thing I would say about that is that if it's a, 
if it's a, I would say like a design forward type of role where you're being asked for those mm. skills, then of course, this is an opportunity to, to demonstrate those. Um, but for, for others, I don't think it's necessary. necessary. I was, um, thank you for that because my last, my last corporate job where I was in a position to be looking at resumes and making hiring decisions, the system that we use prints out the resume. So I don't even see the original format that the applicant used. I mean, we, it's just a printout from the system. So it's very plain. Yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of funny. Speaking of systems, what is the percentage of, do you, from your perspective, of firms that are now using some kind of automated... Um, Applicant tracking systems is what they call them. Is that widespread now? Is that what we are all dealing with for all intents and purposes? So without freaking everyone out about the machines that are, you know, controlling our lives, um, for the most part, like, if you're inputting your information into a portal of some kind and uploading your document, like, that is a system in which that is now going to live. And it can be, there's a huge range in terms of the sophistication of then how that system works on the other side, on the, on the output. Right. But even even the, quote, simpler systems can easily do what I described earlier, where you get the 500 resumes and it pulls down the 70 where the person's last job is the same job title as the one you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's a simple um, functionality. So I would say the place the only time, you know, that you're bypassing a system, most likely, is when the applications are being collected by an email mm. like if you're sending your app if it's like apply through info at and I would say apply to those jobs because you're probably skipping the system and getting in front of eyeballs of a human mm -hmm. um, in other cases when you're uploading your resume you're going into some kind of a system gotcha so all of those Indeed or ZipRecruiter, all of those um, are all obviously AI generate uh, AI driven systems that do some kind of uh, scoring, I suppose, off of the information that you're. Yeah, it it really varies, but but yeah, at a minimum, I would say filtering, like where they they absolutely can get to the stage of of scoring, but for sure, filtering on, for example, last last job or um, you know degree or keywords, obviously, we've talked about that. Um, so yeah, they can, they can all do that. Should your resume and your LinkedIn profile be the same or should they complement each other? What should be the relationship between your LinkedIn profile and your resume? <laughs> okay, I love this question because so many people ask me this too, Lou. Because I think that where I think LinkedIn is just this thing that has evolved so much and continues to evolve. Like LinkedIn is a universe unto itself, right? And so I think, I think the way that we're using it has very much shifted from when it first, like when all of us kind of first got on LinkedIn, or I realize that would have happened at different times for each of us. But generally speaking, I think there was a big move on to LinkedIn where it's like, okay, we should have a LinkedIn profile. It was very much viewed as a place where people who were searching for jobs went. Um, and it's, it's moved beyond that. Like this is a platform that is useful to us on all kinds of levels um, throughout the career journey, right? Like not just during transitions. So because of that, um, we want to think about it as basically the 24-hour networking event that we're that we all get the privilege of being at. Doesn't that sound like so much fun? A 24-hour networking event? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. It's it's so funny. Um, but because of that, like really the goal of the profile is to be like an approachable and you know, a, you, you want to show again, going back to not, not because we're being braggy, but we want to show our value. want to show our professional value and also be approachable. 
And I say that I'm making that point around the approachability because I think there has definitely been a shift in tone. If you think about kind of the formality that we might have originally, you know, approached LinkedIn with, it has shifted. And now if we think about it, no, it's actually a networking event. So a lot of people write their about set sections, um, which is, you know, that little kind of intro paragraph where you can summarize what you're about. Um, they write that in the first person as like almost a, like as if you're shaking someone's hand and saying, here's what I'm kind of about. Yes. So inside of the profile, we want to focus, like when I work with clients on their profile, we want to focus on having a photo that you like, where your face is visible (laughs) and, you know, it looks professional enough. And then your headline. So what is it that you're saying about yourself? And your headline shows up like every time you comment, every time you post things like that is what's coming up for people. And then they associate that with your name. So that's really important. And then also that about section, because if people you come on their radar or you apply for a job at their company, like they're going to go to your profile, look at your photo, your headline and your about section. That's what they're going to do. And then everything else below is obviously we want to populate and have our LinkedIn profile kind of um, appear to be complete because it shows that we've attended the networking event like we're there. Um, But I don't fuss too much about providing a lot of detail under each job. I typically don't. And and people, honest people will differ on this. Um, But for me, I, I typically don't advise my clients to copy and paste like all the hard work that we did on the resume right in. Some will and some want to. And and that is totally fine. Um, It's not like a faux pas to do it. Like it's okay. Um, I just think it's another thing to manage that I'm, that I kind of just think if you don't need to manage it. Um, and also it's possible that some of those bullet points over on your resume for a particular role have been very targeted. And for many of us, like we're multidimensional people, we might be kind of heading in a couple of possible directions in our job search and have a couple of different versions of our resumes. Whereas we want the LinkedIn profile to be almost broad enough that kind of all the angles make sense so that, you know, it fits and it works. Like if you're applying, whatever the job is you're applying for, you want that person to be able to go to your profile and say, oh yeah, there's alignment here, right? I like how you talked about uh, looking at the LinkedIn profile from the framework of this is a networking event because it's, uh, so if I'm looking at your resume, it's almost like if I were meeting Alison in person, the profile provides that, if I could use the word color or, you know, the, the, the fuller picture of this person that a resume, the, the paper resume won't be able to provide because it's very specific to, to the roles that I'm, that you're applying for. So that is a great, I've not heard that before. And, but I love that. We'll get back to Allison after the short break. I want to tell you about the other second breaks, the newsletter. But first, let me tell you what it's not. It is not an email that announces new podcast episodes or new blog posts. Nobody needs that. (laughs) It is not an email where I share my personal experiences or thoughts of the day or pontificate about a topic that I, for some reason, am interested in for the moment. Nope. (laughs) The Second Breaks Newsletter is a digital publication. It is a weekly digest of information that will help you make sense of this evolving economy. It aims to make it easier for you to make decisions about your career, spot opportunities, and thrive in your work and life. And it does this by serving you with researched and carefully curated information from all mediums, written, audio, video, and from various sources, books, research studies, newspapers, magazines, blogs. It covers a wide range of topics that are relevant to experienced professionals like you, topics like resilience, longevity, continuity, the future of work, and most importantly, relevance, continuing relevance in an evolving economy. And it is delivered digitally in your inbox every Sunday in a nice compact format that's easy on the eyes so you can browse quickly or dive into a specific topic of interest. So here's the good news. The Second Breaks newsletter is free. So I encourage you to subscribe. Simply go to secondbreaks.com newsletter to sign up. 
Okie dokes, let's get back to Allison. We pick up the conversation right as we switched gears to talk about handling specific situations in our resumes. So I wanted to switch gears for uh, for a couple minutes here and just talk about very specific sort of situations. Um, so one is if you are thinking of making a pivot, um, um, So you have been in marketing before and you want to do something different going forward or have to do something different going forward. And so um, we always hear this thing about you connect the dots yourself. Don't expect the person who's reading your resume to connect the dots for you. And so you, you can tell the story. So what is your perspective about You know, what, what are the things that um, somebody who's making a pivot need to make sure that the resume covers when they're doing a pivot? So really important question and big question to answer. But what I would say is for whatever job that you're looking for, you want to stand in the shoes of that recruiter. And you kind of touched on this when you were, when you were asking the question, but you want to stand in the shoes of the recruiter and look back at you and have your path make sense. And so in order, I think, I think the hardest thing for people to do actually is to take things out of their resume, to make space for the stuff that is going to be applicable mm. in the new pivot direction. I actually think that's the hardest part um, because we're, we're, we, I mean, it feels like part of our identity and we feel many, many of us feel like very connected, like it's very close to us, those accomplishments, you know, that we achieved in, you know, the place where like the, the marketing path that we were on. But now we have to actually, that's not the pieces that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about like what felt like a footnote in the marketing world is now going to be the main bullet point. And it's, it's a reframe. Um, but I think that the place that we're going to look is, again, at the job description. And we're just going to read it carefully. What is it that they're looking for? And where where do I match up? And how can I turn up the volume on those things and turn down the volume and or potentially leave out completely other stuff that's not relevant? That's the hard part. You mentioned there looking at the resume. You've mentioned uh, looking at the job description uh, for the role that you're applying for. and. And I know when I worked with you some months ago, this is where you had me start. Even though I wasn't yet at the point of, you know, I, there wasn't necessarily a specific job that I was applying for, you asked me to look for a representative job description of a role that I might be interested in. Is that the first step? Is that, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that we shouldn't be writing a resume from a general like a generalist sort of mindset. Yeah, so we can, but it's not as effective because, I mean, first of all, when I'm writing a resume for people, I I ask them to do that partly because I want the resume to be immediately useful and applicable in that literal <laughs> application process. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, but also just the act of looking is very good for somebody who's considering, especially in a pivot situation, mm -hmm. like you might think that you're interested in doing something, but reading the job descriptions, even finding three, often I find, often I ask people to find three, um, you'll see it'll, it'll come out very quickly, like what the themes are that they're looking for. And they might be looking for, like, you might be surprised what it is that they're looking for consistently that you might not have kind of um, anticipated. Um, I have written resumes for people who just have you know, the idea versus a specific job description. Like I've done it very rarely, um, but I have done it in the absence of the job description, but it's when people have a really clear sense. And when I also have a very clear sense of like that type of role, but seeing, seeing a job description just makes all the difference. Um, and also these things like they do evolve, even, even like 
in real time, constantly. Like if you looked for, looked at a product strategy job two years ago versus now, y- you would see differences just because things change, you know? And, and I think that's the case, not in every role in every industry, but certainly in many roles and industries, the, the asks kind of evolve. And so we just, we want to look at them. And then we have, it's like, you know, it's like, that's the question. And then we're answering it with our resume. Makes it very simple. I remember that you said that to me as well. So the, what was it? You, um, the, the job description. That's the question. That's the question. And the resume is the answer. Yeah. Yes. So they fit together. That is brilliant framing. <laughs> So the other situation that unfortunately many people may have to uh, be doing uh, these days is from like you're you're running your business and now you're in a situation where you may be having to look for a job, at least temporarily. And I've read that it's been very difficult. I don't know if this is your experience as well, but I've read that um, it's difficult. It's been difficult for people who have, who have been entrepreneurs or have been, um, running their businesses, um, and then applying, and then, you know, applying for a job from a resume perspective. I don't know if this is true or if this is, if you've seen that as well. What should somebody who's in that situation be looking into or should be considering when they put together a resume? I love this question because I think that it's, I've worked with multiple people who have gone through this transition and it's, I I don't know. I mean, the question you initially asked, which is, is that, is that true that they're, they have a particularly hard time. I haven't heard or seen that. It feels maybe anecdotal to me, but it's possible. I think that there are kind of two sides a little bit to the, to the, quote challenge where on the one hand you've got the individual who's been in charge who may have their own kind of mixed feelings about like having a boss um and and then there are those who've been in the entrepreneurial world who are like please I just want a boss and then I want my work day to end like so you know um there's all all kinds of course but then there's also what a reader of a resume a potential employer is going to think when they see, okay, someone's been an entrepreneur. So all of this assumes you've gotten through the scan and a human is now looking at your resume. And to me, and I am an entrepreneur, so it's possible I'm a little bit biased, but I think the skill set that entrepreneurs have is exceptionally marketable. Mm -hmm. And if if I were to be hiring somebody and I saw that they had started a business and run a business, I would be thrilled to speak with that candidate. So there you have like my personal bias versus another's potential personal bias. Um, and that's always going to be a factor, just like somebody could come to a, you know, quick judgment about any and all jobs that you've had, places you've worked, all of the above, right? We're all just humans having human experiences. Um, I do. So I do think when it comes to articulating your entrepreneurial experience, you need to describe what it is that you have to offer based on that experience. And this is such a good example of when you need to get selective about what it is that you're sharing, because it would take a book to write all of the things (laughs) probably learned from YouTube and did. (laughs) Right. So we'll just sum that up with resourceful. (laughs) <laughs> and kind of go from there. Like you, you know, if it's a marketing job, we're going to talk about the marketing that you did for your company. If it's a finance job, you're going to talk about how you manage your finance. Like it's those things, right? Operations, a lot of entrepreneurs go into like operational stuff, you know, the, the sky's the limit. Um, and you just want to hone in on those things. And the other thing, and I, I, we spoke about this briefly earlier, but it's, I think worth reiterating is to be strategic about your title because you can, So if you, like, you might say founder and lead, you know, whatever, 
engineer, for example, if that or a product engineer, um, if that's the type of role that you want to go and get so that you have those words there so that immediately the reader is being kind of triggered that like, okay, this is this is a person who's done this before. Right. For example, if the role that you're looking for in a company has uh, is about a design. So maybe you could call yourself lead designer as opposed to founder or, you know, whatever, CEO. Right. Absolutely. And you could do both or you could choose exactly to your point. You could choose to leave off founder if you were, you know, concerned about that um, or you could keep it. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, putting a lead designer. That's a perfect example. This is not the only thing that you do. <laughs> Although you're very good at it. Could you talk about the other things that you do in your work today? I, like you said, obviously, I think it's quite clear at this point that I'm a resume and LinkedIn nerd. I think that we can, I think I can take that title proudly um, <laughs> after this little geek out session that we've had together, which has been a lot of fun for me. Um, but yeah, so I do, I do do a lot of personal branding stuff with clients and I do writing for them. So we work on exactly this stuff. Um, I put this in the category of job transition support. So part of that is the personal branding or some people call it professional branding. Um, I do interview coaching with people. I do job search strategy. Um, we talk about essentially how to get through a job transition. Um, that's often the second phase that people kind of come into with me. And the first phase is more of a career direction coaching, where many, many people who I work with come to me in a place of uncertainty, sometimes burnout, um, just questioning kind of career path, big, more big picture stuff. And I work with them and we go through a process where we look at values and goals and skills and experiences and all kinds of pieces. And we work on getting clarity on what's going to be satisfying to them um, as a next step in their career. Because of what's happening out there, the financial crisis that we are all experiencing that, um, you know, all indications say that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so um, what are you sort of paying attention to, um, given, you know, your work? I think it's such an interesting time. And I'm seeing, I'm, I've been watching some themes. One, I think, is around job transition. So people who are um, out of work, not by choice, and are needing to engage in a job search um, with, you know, fewer postings up than would have been in a typical month, right? Um, like we haven't gone to zero. There are companies hiring, there are jobs open, but it is obviously a different climate. So I'm seeing that I'm seeing a, a need for people to, you know, now more than ever, like, try to really show up strong in that job search so that we can, you know, my goal with my clients is always to shorten their job search. Like that's what we want to do. We want it to end as quickly as possible with a good outcome, of yes. course, you know, with the job that we love. But what the other theme that I am seeing, and this is more in the um, other category of kind of career direction, where I think we're having a crisis right now of, meaning at work where people are just I think of it as kind of this bright light that the whole global situation is shining into all of our lives often as we sit alone in our homes you know unable to go anywhere and it's just it's it's causing I think a bit of a reckoning for a lot of people where we're taking stock and we're having, we're just, we're having a collective moment. And I've heard a few examples of where companies are stepping up into this. Like, for example, companies that have transitioned from making um, coats to making PPE. Those employees, I think, are experiencing a lift in terms of morale. Oh. And I think it's because it's feeding that hunger for more meaning. And I think this has been a long time coming. And I think there's going to be um, 
a, a bigger shift over the decades to come, um, just in terms of, of greater meaning and more people who desire meaning in their work coming up and and saying so, and it not being taboo, it being, you know, completely fine. That, that it's kind of, it, I, I liken it to the, when the triple bottom line concept came out where it's like, oh, wait, I know I learned in, personally, I know I learned in business school that a corporation exists to generate a profit for its shareholders. And I think that's a pretty outdated definition at this point. Like we've moved beyond guys, or at least we should. Um, and I think the same thing is happening with career where people are really seeing, are, are going to continue to see it as a place where they can get meaning and wh- where they desire meaning, which I'm excited for that shift. Like that's the world I play in. I made my career shift in part through a desire for meaning. And I find great meaning in my work now that I didn't have before. So I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, exactly. There was, um, there was a meme that I saw maybe maybe the second week of uh, the lockdown or when, when, when the shelter at home became more widespread. And um, it said something, I am going to butcher it, but it said something along the lines of, you know, as we rush into getting back to normal, uh, maybe spend a little bit of time thinking about what parts of your normal you want to get back to. And for some, the the answer to that has to do with, you know, I'm I've never been really happy about, the work that I do, and I don't really want to go back to that anymore, or, you know, to the role that I played, I don't really want to go back to that. It doesn't make any, you know, and so you're right. I think that this um, experience that we're having is um, this great pause is allowing us to kind of think about those things. Absolutely. Well, where can people find you online, Allison? So my website is alisonlockett.com, two L's and two T's. I am on Instagram at alisonlockettcoaching, and I'm on Facebook with the same handle. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. So yeah, I'm in all the places. The best, the best place is to check out, check out my website. I have some free resources there. I have a blog where I am writing in real time about all the stuff that's happening. So I hope you found that conversation with Alison Lockett helpful for the show notes, the links, and the highlights of this episode. Head on over to secondrakes.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, please share it with your friends. Tell them you like this particular episode or that you listen to this podcast regularly. They're going to thank you for it. And so will I, because it helps tremendously when you help spread the word. Now, next week, we're going to get curious about HR's role in all of these things and helping us manage this disruptive time. I'll be joined by senior HR executive Randy Lumia, and we are going to dig into questions that we've always wanted to ask HR but couldn't or wouldn't. So the best way not to miss that episode and all future episodes of this podcast is to subscribe and you can do that using the app that you're using right now to listen to this episode or if you happen to be listening to this on the website right around the audio player you're gonna see some options for podcast apps as well okie dokie i'll be back next week with randy lumia until then stay safe stay sane and keep on making your day my friend cool beans <laughs>